Welcome to Race Trader, a podcast where we trade ideas on race by way of discussing film. I'm your host, Boston. And I'm Jay. This episode, we'll be discussing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, produced by Quincy Jones in 1990 through 96. Normally at this point, I say spoilers ahead, but we've all seen this show at this point. Next episode, we'll be covering Bad Trip with Eric Andre. You can drop us a line at bostonnj at racetraderpodcast.com. Check the spelling in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, for our listeners, you should know that inspiration to do this episode came from a debate that was essentially started on our Bamboozled episode, where we were confronting the question of whether or not Will Smith was partaking in some form of minstrelsy on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So what we're going to do is both Boston and I will be declaring each of our own positions, which are at this point at least diametrically opposed. And then once our cases are made and we have a little uh, back and forth, we will agree upon 10 episodes that we're going to specifically handpick. And then after watching it with fresh eyes and not just relying on our experience growing up, we will see how our opinions change and uh, continue the discussion. So, Boston, what's your issue with Will Smith in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? So, I was thinking about cooning and buffooning, and I think that Will Smith is or was cooning and buffooning on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So I went into the Google machine and put in cooning, and this is a definition that they came up with. Cooning is a verb derived from the word coon. A coon was, is a person of African descent whose sole purpose was, is to entertain white people. Now, do I think that Will Smith was cooning? Yes. I think the purpose of his character was to introduce hip hop culture to white people in a way that made them feel safe and secure. I think he was playing a role that was played by a number of different white actors over a various number of TV shows. A good example of that was brought to our attention by one of our friends that it was Charles and Charles except with black people. So I do understand that. However, I do think that there was somewhat of an exploitative nature to black culture that he was doing in as much that if there was a proper Native American family who had become lawyers and doctors or whatever, and they were in Bel Air, and there was a Native American who they got off the reservation, and they were having powwows in the living room or something like that, people would be appalled. And even if they weren't appalled then, they'd be appalled now. That's a bad analogy. First off, like, to claim any knowledge on my part on Native American cultures, like, I'm not sure, I can't even claim whether or not powwows are even a relevant thing that happened at this point. When Fresh Prince was happening, hip-hop was on the rise, approaching, uh, within the time of the show, its golden period. Like Will Smith was just representing hip-hop culture in a family-friendly way that is the vehicle of sitcoms at that time especially. So if you're claiming that Will Smith was there to appease white people before we found out that he was a monster rapist. 
Cosby was very like, you always mentioned the Cosby pound cake speech. What is the Cosby pound cake speech? So the Cosby pound cake speech is the ultimate diatribe on the politics of respectability. When did he say it? And why are you calling it the pound cake speech? So the reason that it's called the pound cake speech, and I'm going to take the quote verbatim from the speech is Cosby says, but these people, the ones up in here in the balcony fought so hard, look at the incarcerated. These are not political criminals. These are people going around stealing Coca-Cola, people getting shot in the back of the head over a piece of pound cake. And then we all run out and are outraged. The cops shouldn't have shot him. What the hell was he doing with the pound cake in his hand? I wanted a piece of pound cake just as bad as anybody else. And I looked at it and I had no money. And something called parenting said, if you get caught with it, you're going to embarrass your mother. You're not going to get your butt kicked. No, you're going to embarrass your family. End of quote. Okay. Well, but what year did he say it? He said this in 2004. That makes sense. This is around the time he was calling out Chappelle too, I think, a lot at the time. Am I right? Bill Cosby's history is Eddie Murphy, anybody that used... The N-word, whatever. Inappropriate vernacular. So my question is then, if you're saying that Will Smith is cooning and you're defining that specifically to appease white people, you could make the same claim that Cosby was trying to appease white people by being obsessively prim and proper. No, I think what Cosby was doing, particularly in the 80s, in light of what was happening at the time, was show that black people could have a decent family and we're not all the way that you think we are. Bill Cosby was very much out of the legacy of W.E.B. Du Bois and the Talented 10th. Like these are the black people that are going to uplift us and, and we need to be more responsible for our own crap. And it's not the white man and it's not this. And it's us who should be taking responsibility for ourselves. Cooning's not just specifically making white people feel comfortable. It's specifically lowering yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It's lowering yourself to appease white people. Hence like minstrelsy and blackface. It's like cooning and buffooning, the buffoonery of the whole thing. If the question is, do I think that Will Smith lowered himself? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that Will Smith... Don't you think he was being genuine? He honestly plays the same character, but a little more adult. And obviously he's playing an adolescent in the sitcom. He's playing the same character in like Independence Day, Men in Black, like these big family successes that don't have much to do with race at all, but were like really entertaining, fun family movies. So I think that Will Smith, and I'm thinking about Independence Day, which is a very likable you know, action kind of alien movie, sci-fi. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I saw it in theaters as a young kid and I thought it was the best. And in that movie, he was cool, yes. kind of assertive, very much in control of himself. Like it wasn't like he was the hip hop guy. He was just this cool pilot who was trying to become an astronaut. But my point is, is that like you're acting like he was being adopted by a white family. Like he was adopted by... Uh, not even adopted. They're all family. But like he was brought into his uncle's home. These people are well-to-do people. That show I do think carried on the legacy of the Cosby show in a lot of ways. But if if anything, it did something more interesting in that it didn't shy away from like a huge aspect of black culture, which is hip hop. I mean, Will Smith, I think, was just entirely being himself on the show. Like I know he didn't necessarily 
develop the show. I'm not like, I don't have as much information and maybe this is something we can look up after we both make our cases as to how much he was involved in creating the show. But I mean, it was at least written around him and his persona at the time. And at the time he was the perfect vehicle to introduce hip hop in the sitcom because he, he didn't curse. He was the perfect opportunity to authentically capitalize and introduce a lot of people to hip hop. So when I talk to people about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, for at least the black people in my immediate circle that I grew up with, the Fresh Prince was always on the peripheral. It wasn't a show that you were very much interested in. At the time, you had really good black shows. You had Martin, A Different World. You have In Living Color. That around that time, black people had a lot of TV options that were more authentic to the black experience that weren't exploitative. The, Martin is just a show about a guy who's a DJ who has friends. What's different about, I watched a lot of A Different World and a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I didn't watch a lot of Martin, but I watched a few. And outside of the fact that Martin was an adult, right? He was an adult on the show. He was just as silly as Will Smith's character. So this is the thing. If Will Smith's character isn't from West Philadelphia and isn't a hood, right? Like bringing the hood to Bel Air. Well, that's that's the whole that's like the contrast. Of, yes, that's the premise of the show. Yeah, Martin wasn't hood. Martin was just a black guy. He was just a black guy who had a job, who had a living girlfriend, who had friends. What's wrong with representing hood though? Because it's not an authentic representation of how dark it was then. It made he was white- out of it. And it made white people feel comfortable. Like that was the whole point. That's why I don't think that was the whole. I mean, listen, like there is like I don't think I don't I don't think that was the point. I think that was why he was chosen at the same time. Like I said, you have a lot of stuff that is for black people that is being made. I contend that the Fresh Prince of Bel Air wasn't one of those shows. But what's wrong with him being from West Philadelphia in the hood and I forget the age he was in the premise of the show as as to when he had he, to be in high school. Well, he so. was in high school, but I forget like exactly when. I think he was probably like a freshman or sophomore is what we're supposed to like have believed, right? But my point is, is that he was removed from that setting and put in a pretty great situation. And I mean, and his mom even throughout the series would make would the occasional appearance, make appearance, and was supportive. And the relationship I've remember having like the mom had a good relationship with the aunt and uncle and all that stuff. I bring that all up to say that, yeah, it's not that dark because he had a way out and no fucking sitcom at that time is getting that dark or ever was that dark. We were not asking for the wire here. Rock was pretty dark. Rock was a show by Charles Dutton. That was the one we talked about from Menace to Society, right? Yeah. Rock was pretty dark. But did it do very well? Well, that's only because black people watching it. Do you know what I mean? Like Rock was a black... Um, it might be because black people watched it, but it's also because that's just not the currency of sitcom. You know, it is written and created by Andy and Susan Borowitz, so... Bamboozled writing room, anybody? Will Smith, throughout the whole show, it, it's clear that the show was written around him. And he didn't lower himself throughout the series. Even within every episode, Will Smith held himself up with dignity. The issue I'm taking with what you're saying is, is that because he was like written to be pulled from the hood of West Philadelphia, he's now lowering himself to appease white audiences. I mean, it is an interesting point of contrast. It's something that isn't necessarily likely, but 
a lot of writing in Hollywood or a lot of dramas or comedies are taking unlikely situations and seeing what happens. You know, and I, and I said this on the podcast before with, on the Bamboozled episode, but Fresh Prince also went into some pretty, I think, brave places. It got me introduced to Malcolm X, you know, where at the time Malcolm X was kind of ignored or dismissed as too radical and people are putting more For who? Not for black people. Well, of course, I'm talking, yeah, but I'm talking but about a there, white audience. There you go. No, you're missing the point. I just told you that in white circles, mm-hmm. Malcolm X was often dismissed as too radical. Mm-hmm. And the emphasis was often put on Martin Luther King. This show championed Malcolm X. I think like in the, I think it's in the pilot. That'll probably be one of the episodes we watch. That's a bold move for that time. I deeply remember that moment on the show. And because of that, started looking into him on my own. It also did address race, didn't entirely ignore it, obviously. It was a, it was a component to it all the time. I think there was like a character named Whitey at, at a point, too, in the show sometimes. I think so. I think you're right. But like, my, my, the main point I'm making here is he didn't lower himself. He always carried himself with dignity. All of them. So I don't think that he needed to lower himself because they had who they wanted to do the part. They got a middling rapper. Nobody in the hood really respected. He had like, Summertime is the only song that, I mean, he had parents don't understand, which was like a goofball kind of thing. You think they're going to have like old, dirty bastard, notorious B.I.G. on the show? No, but I would have liked them to get a Juilliard trained black actor to be able to play the role of and bring a little bit more to it than Will did. Like, this is the thing. If he, he was if, the if, whole if, charm of the show. But but this is the thing. If he is not from West Philadelphia, like like Charles in Charge, I can't remember where it was from, but he wasn't from like a trailer park. Hoods aren't really a thing white people come from. Like, in, in trailer parks, you know, I listen, I, I don't come from a trailer park. Totally willing to be wrong here, but I'm pretty certain that trailer parks don't have the gang phenomena that primarily what black people do. And listen, that's a whole other context. And I'm not even like frowning. on. I'm just talking about what our actual like realities are on these circumstances. So mm-hmm. it's just like everything's not tit for tat. That's a false equivalency. It's not because why did the black person need to be from that? Why couldn't he just been from a, a middle class family in Philly who just moved with his uncle because his parents are in Europe or something well, like that. Well, I mean, first off, like we've talked about this too, like with in the before trilogy episode, like that, that doesn't happen as often. It is believable to honor the point you were making earlier by saying that there were other shows that in your experience, more black people fucked with at the time. Right. Yes. And then the Fresh Prince. But that isn't to say that black people didn't fuck with the Fresh Prince. You know, obviously, like, you're not representing all black people here, just as I'm not representing all white people, right? And so through previous jobs of mine and whatnot, like, I know plenty of black people that have fucked heavy with the Fresh Prince. But I would say, and I think this kind of uh, reflects what you were saying before, is that did the Fresh Prince have more crossover appeal? Yeah. And I don't think it's because white people were laughing at black people. I think it was because Will Smith's just a fucking hit. Everybody fucks with Will Smith. The, the, the success of like Independence Day and the success of Men in Black, the charisma that man innately has is crazy. I remember watching The Fresh Prince regularly, but I don't remember caring that much. Okay. And I remember going to school in middle school and high school when Martin was running 
which was the for a black person the popular show at yeah. the time. And and I think if I'm not mistaken, Notorious B.I.G. did actually guest star. On yes, it. he guest starred yeah. on Martin. The couldn't miss shows, Martin Living Single, whatever it was that were out, you talked about them incessantly. If you didn't see them, then you felt left out of the conversation. Do you know what I mean? The Fresh Prince, if I'm remembering correctly from my childhood, he wasn't a part of that. Like I said, most people didn't really respect him. I didn't know anybody that played his music. Will Smith didn't show up on any mixtapes. He made white people comfortable. Like that was his thing. Like I see the thing is like the context I'm coming from, you know, there's four years between us. So that makes a big difference in terms of like when it came out and what it meant. Like I was younger. So at that time, not only was I younger, but as I've expressed plenty of times before, I was raised in like a very religious restrictive home. I was never allowed to buy an album with the parental advisory until like I entered like late in high school. Like outside of like listening out of my friends' houses, I wasn't able to listen to like Wu-Tang or all that stuff that I now cherish and love, right? But for me, and I know there are plenty of like heavy church going black kids that weren't allowed to listen to that stuff too. But not only that, you can't play unfiltered rap in a sitcom no matter what. So rather than like take a really hardlined like gangster rapper and neuter him so that he's able to fit within the constraints of a sitcom which to me is it would be a terrible decision outside of a guest appearance or something like that take somebody who already is innately clean who has this charisma write a show around him it makes perfect sense and it doesn't belittle anything if anything it's a win-win because you're getting someone authentically expressing who he actually is. And I think he was doing that, especially if his other movies are indicative of who he is by these are the choices that he's made. You know, you could say that he was typecast, but he did like very different roles. You know, he's not um, a Gary Oldman who just like shapeshifts into whatever role he is or a Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, he's just fucking Will Smith. He's just got this charm to him that's attractive. It, it was perfect. Like, I get that you weren't that into it. I'm not like, that's not a thing to challenge. You know what I mean? I, I'm just challenging this cooning and buffooning label and why you so feel so... why do so... you think that shows like Living Single weren't as popular for white people? I never saw the show Living Single. Because it ran a couple years after Fresh Prince. There's no nudity, no cursing, no anything. It was a show about a lawyer, an advertising executive. They were all very sophisticated roommates. Do you know what I mean? I'm not dismissing much, if any, of the statement that Spike Lee made at Bamboozled. I'm not denying minstrelsy. The fact that Living Single failed or was canned, how, I don't know the behind the scenes of it. And then Friends came about, as is one of your points. They took, they stole the premise. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, I mean, it's a basic premise, but it's weird. It's eerie what you're saying. I totally see your point. One part of me wants to say it's a demographics issue. You know, if we take people at their best of intent, assumed intent, right, that is going to be an issue. Like black people are only 14% of the country. So it is a numbers game. It would make sense. It's a shame friends didn't have two black friends. So it's a little more mixed, especially when it's fucking New York City. Right. There's an ample opportunity to actually do something smart there. I just don't think that Fresh Prince falls into that category. Like we've talked about before uh, Denzel, right? And how he's a bit of an exception to a lot of observations we make uh, in terms of examples of how institutionalized racism manifests, right? And he's a bit of an exception. I think Will Smith, like Denzel, Denzel obviously being a better actor, but 
in a similar way, they just have this je ne sais quoi about them. That's fucking captivating. Like, people still fuck with Tom Cruise despite the fact that he's a lunatic Scientologist. You know why? It's captivating to watch. The, one of the things that has shifted my mindset over the past couple of weeks as I've been preparing for this and talking to other people about The Fresh Prince, I do think there's something that Dr. Phillips said. You can't really blame the actor. That's the role that they were given. It's the system that was involved. And the problem is there isn't more roles, more fulfilling roles that are out there for black people to kind of move into. So you can have a Will Smith and you can have this counterfeiting balance, or you can have a guy who's just playing this, I don't want to call him a stereotype of what happens in the hood, but you have a guy playing a role. As I was thinking through that, there were so many black shows at that time, right? Right. That it was almost okay for what Will Smith was doing. Especially when we just listed them all off at the beginning. Yeah, like right. there was like, at that particular time, there were more black shows probably on than at any point in American history. Well, and the more we do this podcast, I mean, I don't know if you were like, yeah, no shit, Jay, but I was born in the 80s, but I really grew up in the 90s, you know what I mean? And like the 90s were a good time, culturally speaking, for black people. I agree. I mean, like, again, like there's a crack epidemic, like there's plenty of shit. Besides that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the show? But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but culturally speaking, there was a lot of fucking ground being broken with Spike Lee and Bamboozled and during the uh, press cycle at that time, he was calling out a lot of that WB shit. I don't think he specifically named the parenthood. That was Robert Townsend. He, Robert Townsend and Spike Lee seem to be like, I don't know much of their history, but they're more on the same page in terms of how I imagine their perspectives to be. But he was calling out Jamie Foxx. I'm assuming he was calling out the Wayans brothers. And, you know, when the WB was kind of reimagined with uh, Michigan J. Frog, with when it Sister Sister Parenthood and Jamie Foxx all came out, I was at the time, I was watching all of that stuff. And I think you're right. If you look at those groupings of black shows, with the exception of Parenthood, next to this early 90s time with Fresh Prince, Martin, Living Single, A Different World, all this type of stuff, there was more sophistication and diversity in character with those early 90s shows than there were in those late 90s shows. I would agree with that. And I don't necessarily know by comparison, because like, the stuff that I remember from the late 90s, early 2000s, Moesha, the Parkers, I didn't really watch that stuff. My sister did. Like me, did you also give up on sitcoms? Like, yeah, I just given up on sitcoms. Like yeah. I moved past that that yeah. phase in my life. Like Sopranos was happening, The Wire was happening, like just the golden TV. Yeah, the was Gary happening. Shandling show on yeah. HBO. Amazing. Yeah, so like that's the kind of stuff that I started to get into, and you know, also starting to really understand Spike stuff. Um, yeah. As an adult, so like I had moved on past the sitcom. Like I said, when I was having this conversation with myself and with other people, I was like, I really grew up around a lot of black television. In the ideal world that Dr. Phillips sets up, it's okay, at least in my opinion, for the Fresh Prince to exist, regardless of how he's being perceived. Like you said, is it a caricature of a person that would have been from the hood? Yeah, you know, and he's doing some things that he's not really offensive, but he's kind of making fun in some kind of way of his old background and in this in this new world. Do you know what I mean? And honestly, if you had to pin me down, is it Cooning? 
Yeah, but does it matter? No. Oh, by the way, just another show we forgot that was happening simultaneously, and actually a year before Fresh Prince was Family Matters. I love Family Matters. Yeah, I mean, it was good. Um, I mean, is it a good show? I don't know, but I loved it as a kid, yeah. Urkel Um, and then the Stefan thing. See, I think Fresh Prince, though, was better. Just Just a better show. I think it's what you were looking for. I watched Family Matters and didn't have that and wanted that. I didn't want what Will Smith had because I felt like I wouldn't have been comfortable in that situation. And it kind of looked like he was making fun of me. This is interesting. I thought Will Smith was the coolest fucking kid as an eight-year-old. I wanted to be Will Smith. I liked rap at the time. Like, um, I always saw, not because he made me feel comfortable. Fresh Prince essentially gave me a space to appreciate black culture before I realized that that's what I was doing. Mm. And, and that's a very important thing. And I think that's a bridge built. Don't get me wrong. I thought like Will Smith had like pretty cool clothes and. Yeah. when he, I, I remember when like he inverted his prep school jacket and everyone thought it was like the coolest thing. Yeah. Like he, I thought like he was like definitely on trend. And when I was young, I wanted to dress like him, but I wanted to be in the family of the Winslows. Like I wanted to be in that family. The dad was super cool. And even though Urkel... Was the dad really cool? I thought, like, he was like, he was a dad. Yeah. And if you didn't have one... So did you not see Uncle Phil's character as a father figure? No. I thought that was a world that was unattainable for me. Oh, it was too much of an extreme. It was too much of an extreme. That's interesting. Like, I didn't know anybody who was rich and lived in Bel Air. And, not and to I, mention a judge. A judge, which doesn't really make sense because judges couldn't afford to live in Bel Air, but that's a whole other thing. Your issue isn't necessarily about Will Smith's character then. Is it maybe the fact that you didn't connect with the banks were too out of reach? No, it wasn't just that. I think it was, I thought Will Smith was making fun of me and my culture. I thought he was bringing something there that made black culture the butt of the joke. And he might have done that respectfully in a way that was just Will Smith, but the fact that he came from the hood was the joke. And I I didn't think that shit was funny. Number one, a couple of things. West Philadelphia is not the worst place in Philly, right? North Philly, if you're talking about someplace that's dark, right? Because I've lived in Philadelphia and it's funny to people who live there. I lived in Philadelphia for two years. Um, It's funny to people who are there Right. And you say West Philadelphia, it's kind of, it's, it's all right. It's not bad. It's not great. But like the idea that you would be afraid to go to West Philadelphia is kind of funny. And I think the whole premise of he, he's le- leaving this dangerous situation that for black people isn't even really dangerous. And he's going to the, to the safety of uh, this family that's going to take care of him. But he, you know, they always said this when I was a kid, you can take the kid out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out the kid, you know? So he's acting out this ghetto performance in Bel Air. And that's the premise. And they're doing that in a way, they're structuring that in a way. So it's not too offensive because it has to fit this sitcom thing. And as a young black person, I saw this as kind of dismissive of the seriousness that was kind of going on in the era. And if you're going to do, you didn't have to do that, right? There were other black sitcoms around. But they did They did address like some of the trappings that would be more common in those circumstances, like his absentee father and how you can't escape race. For example, like the episode where- The cops, they get pulled over. They get pulled over because they're driving their friend, their white friend's BMW and they think it's stolen. Very NBC, the more you know. 
Do you know what I mean? Well, of course. It's a sitcom. Every single episode's the more you but know. But don't say that because there were sitcoms that were really addressing those issues seriously. That's the thing. You can say, well, it's a sitcom. Well, no, there were sitcoms that there were things that we watched as a family that took those things very seriously. On The Fresh Prince, they did take it seriously. In that episode's premise, like how was that not taken seriously? So I remember that episode and Will Smith being stunned by it and Carlton's first realization that maybe he's not as equal as everyone else. And then, you know, they close it down and then it's the next episode, right? Which is what sitcoms do, but in, in that sense. But there's never this over, overbiting sense that this carries on. Like this permeation of race and this problem of race carries on. Like it doesn't go away. That's a thing that other black sitcoms did really well. It's like you felt it. Like if you were watching, like I said, Rock, which only ran for three or four years, if you watched it, you understood that this was something that was continuous in the background, this thing that's playing out, this racial thing that's playing out. And maybe that's why Rock only lasted for three or four years and, you know, Will Smith lasted longer. Like if you wanted a show that was going to be an introduction for white people into a, 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 a classy black family and you're going to have this guy who's relatively hood but kind of learning to figure himself out, right? That's a good show for white people. Well, see, the other thing is, though, is, right, like, in my memory, what what year did the Cosby show come out? 84, yeah. So I, I was, like, a little like, too young for the Cosby show, but obviously, like, these things existed in syndication way before streaming ever happened, so the time of it didn't. It's kind of beside the point. But I knew tons of white people that watched The Cosby Show, right? And obviously it didn't mean the same thing it did for black people at the time and still does for a lot of people. But they watched it, right? Because it just felt like a regular show. It just happened to be black people. Similar to Family Matters. No, I, I'm going to disagree with you. The Cosby Show was profound because The Cosby Show brought high-level black culture into tv like well no no no. i'm not disagreeing with that my point is though is like for white people like me who i grew up around who also watched that show that i'm kind of acknowledging here mm -hmm. it, it adhered to their less racist perspectives in that oh yeah it's just black people being regular you know what i mean yep but the significance wasn't on them they didn't feel it because they 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 didn't have to confront race and they don't identify as these are people who weren't raised racist right and they're like just yeah it's another show just like Family Matters was played on TJF Fridays right next to Full House they're like back to back with us step by step and you know amongst the other uh, Milky White sitcoms so like my point is is that I think the Cosby Show and the Fresh Prince had the same type of audience. But I would say the difference is, and this might be why, in your experience, less black people fucked with it, is that it brought in hip-hop culture. Because one, it was able to be, especially at that point, capitalized upon. And they found a dude who was clean and uh, family-friendly to do it without having to change uh, his persona at all that he was already putting out there. So it's kind of a win-win. And in a way it like challenges Cosby's pound kick speech because it's like, no, 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 these people, this style uh, can be shown with dignity. There's nothing inherently wrong about it, which 
Cosby's pound cake speech kind of echoes. So I disagree. The Cosby show does something that's extremely unique that Will Smith in the uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air falls far short of. Okay. Um, the Cosby show showed that number one, everybody on the Cosby show was in some way successful, educated, and they had high expectations. Nobody came from poverty, right? Poverty is the butt of the joke. Of Who wasn't what, successful in Fresh Prince? Will Smith's family. Will Smith came from a broken home. He didn't have a relationship with his father. And Will Smith's poverty was the joke. His blackness from the hood was the joke. It wasn't His poverty wasn't the joke. It was the contrast. It was a point of contrast. It's different. It's like, uh, that's why I'm saying like you're laughing with them, not at them. Like, you're honestly, the bigger butt of the joke is Carlin. More than Will. I don't know. I think, I think like the Cosby show, when I think about the Cosby show, I think about the fact that they had black artists, like the, one of the more popular black paintings called The Funeral is, is posted on the Cosby show. Like it's, it's in the backdrop of the Cosby show. Cosby show was the first time I learned about real tap dancing, right? Where they had tap dance artists come on and really talk about those things. You had a, a wife that was a lawyer and a father that was a doctor and they could raise a family that was aspirational. That was like, that was attainable and aspirational. Bill Cosby made a very intentional decision not to include a lot of hip hop culture and a lot of hip hop clothes onto the show for the very reason that he did. He never wanted the show to be dated. He felt like you could pick up the show 20 years from now and still be able to relate to it in some way. Well, the, the irony is, yes. I mean, no, not like, listen, take away, because we're talking, we're not talking about him. We're talking about the show. I know it's hard to separate the two, but we're talking about legacy here. We're talking about history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not taking away anything of what you're saying, except for the fact that I don't think it's an accident that that decision came from the same place maybe the pound cake thing was. He may have said that for press reasons at the time. I haven't done my research again. I, and I also, like, I was, I was a little too young for, to catch the wave of the Cosby show. Outside of syndication. But I think that he was wrong. I mean, those sweaters, I mean, that's like an 80s trope. So you're kind of, you're, you're just doomed to be a product of your time. Everything is. And it just comes off as, as politics of respectability. I think taking in context, there was already so much countervailing stuff that was out there or at least like what would you like say? I was talking about like you know it was the it was the beginning of the crack epidemic there's just so much negativity surrounding black people wasn't the irony time. though at that time too though like so the Cosby show comes out in 84 it's probably being uh, developed in 82 83 um wasn't i mean hip hop at that time was super positive and it wasn't as uh, gritty as like it came to be with NWA and things like that. I mean, Public Enemy wasn't even out then either. It was Run DMC. It was Spoolie D. So there was uh, uh, my first, my first real rap song that I could remember listening to, probably eighty seven, eighty eight. You know where I kind of like unconsciously or consciously understood what happened was Slick Rick's Lottie Dottie, which is extremely, extremely profane. But I think what Cosby was doing was saying. This is going to be about highbrow black art 
not even highbrow. I don't want to say that. I think that's what he meant, though. They would talk about slavery. They would talk about civil rights stuff. It always felt like you were in the college atmosphere. It was a way to teach you, not really talk down to you, but kind of teach you about these moments without making fun of black people. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. But I, I, if anything, like to me, Fresh Prince did that and added hip hop with a sense of dignity that was possible within the constraints of a sitcom. I mean, the show's legacy is pretty positive amongst most people. So it just seems weird. I mean, not weird. It's sad. You know, the conflict you're having. And I can only speak, we can only speak to our own experiences here, but it feels to me you're projecting onto the show the way you think white people see it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, and I disagree. Okay. I think that you're saying, and correct me on this, yeah. that Will Smith was largely a positive influence in the way that you began to, to craft, or it, he was an introduction into the way that you as a white person and maybe other white people saw hip hop and black culture. Because if you saw the real thing, you would flinch. Do well, you know yeah, I mean? it'd be, yeah. But that was a thing that a lot of us lived through and it was flinching for you or for your parents. I was a kid. I grew up in the hood. It was terrible. But you couldn't take a real honest look at that because your parents wouldn't let you look at it. Well, my parents wouldn't have let me watch Menace to Society at the age of, at, let's say, 1990. Granted, I probably watched it like two years into the show's running. So let's say I was eight years old. I'm not fucking watching Menace to Society at eight. But you're saying that like there's something, there's something that's real and true and dark that's happening at that time. Yeah. And somebody's taking a piece of that and being very jovial and kind and making it feel like, oh, it's okay. And I'm really getting in some insight to what it may be like. And I'm learning about Malcolm X and like, but there's this whole really dark underbelly to like what it's really like to be black. Right. So it, at least for most of black culture at that particular time, Cosby didn't address it either. Yes. But Cosby didn't utilize a piece of that either. So Cosby said, we're keeping this straight upper middle class. We're not talking about those things. But then you said it yourself too. Like every black person knows at least one person that's been to prison. Yes. So I, I obviously you were speaking illustratively at that point. And I obviously, I get the sentence. But to that degree, there's, you could, you could, it's probably easier to say uh, with more accuracy that there's not a black person living who doesn't know somebody from the hood. True. Now, there's plenty of exceptions too, but obviously we're speaking here in broad strokes. So one could make the argument, and I, I'm not taking anything away from the Cosby Show's legacy in this tense, but like one could make the argument that like the denial of it entirely is irresponsible. So is your position that you just think because hip-hop is too rough and rugged it just shouldn't be addressed in sitcoms at all no what i'm saying is all right martin is a good example okay martin had bra man who was the kind of guy who came out of nowhere and always was eating out of martin's fridge and he was super kind of hood but also kind of weirdly philosophical 
Like Wendell's character in Parenthood. Yes. He had like all these really three-dimensional black characters. This is not to say that Will Smith's character in Fresh Prince wasn't, but you understood there was a place with that Martin that came from, from my perspective, he's only speaking for me, that was extremely genuine about the way that he did it. And I don't think that they got that in The Fresh Prince. I feel like it was a play, what happens when black people run a, a airline, soul plane? What happens when there's a first black president, all the jokes, and what happens if you start drop a black guy from the hood off in Bel Air? But the difference is, is that in Martin, it sounds like you're more saying they just showed it. They didn't tell it to you. Yes. It was a show. It was a perfect example of show me, don't tell me. Yes. And in Fresh Prince, if I'm understanding your criticism correctly, you're saying it was like way too, stop telling me I get it. Yes. The other thing is, I'm not denying your experience with the show, but the soul play analogy to me doesn't work because if the entire Banks family lived in Bel Air, but was like hood as fuck, the, that would be a soul The black Beverly Hillbillies. But it's not. Yes, exactly. But it's it's not that. You just found the Fresh Prince patronizing. Yes. All minstrelsy is inherently patronizing, but everything patronizing isn't necessarily minstrelsy. Right? Yes. I And I agree with that. Okay. Look, and I, and look part of it is like this, one of these kids is doing his own thing. And that's a part of it. Like you have these, these proper prim people in Bel Air and you have this guy who's kind of sticking out like a sore thumb and let's see what happens except when it's your culture or when you feel like Will Smith is kind of not telling the whole story and kind of downplaying it or being funny about it. It just, it feels like he's doing that to, to Coon. Well, you know what I realized that does this in a very, in a weird way coming to America. It does. Is the Fresh Prince. It done, does. Done really badly. Done really badly. Let's, let's give Fresh Prince more credit than coming to America, please. Mm -hmm. But it is. You know, oh, that's a really good example. So the challenge I bring to you, Boston, before we take a break, watch the episodes and discuss again, is although you might find it patronizing because you already know, my thesis is that the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is a part of the legacy that has brought dignity to black culture. My thesis is this, that... The Fresh Prince is a television show that stars black people, but was made for a white audience. I think that the show was probably done and Will Smith was probably cast to in some way exploit hip hop culture by making it tantalizing to white people. We're back. Boston and I have now watched 10 episodes that we uh, selected from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We watched four episodes from season one, uh, The Pilot, Mistaken Identity, The Ethnic Tip, 72 Hours. Then we watched two episodes from season three, Winter Takes Off, Six Degrees of Graduation. Three episodes from season four, Blood is Thicker Than Mud, Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse, and The Philadelphia Story. And then one episode from season six, Viva Lost Wages. So Boston, now having seen these episodes, if at all, has your opinion 
changed. It has. Um, and if I said my opinion has changed, it's not a complete 180, but probably a 150. You um, told me 160 off 160. Mike. Maybe Come it's on maybe 160. I think the show... <laughs> So there are parts of it that I had watched that made me a little uncomfortable. I think the pilot episode, I definitely think, was him cooning a little bit. But I think maybe some of that could have been his lack of comfort because he wasn't an actor and maybe overacting and overplaying it a little bit. When you say uncomfortable, you mean kind of based on your thesis, so to speak? Based on my thesis, exactly. So... There was the episode, I can't remember the name of it, where Carlton goes to Compton. That 72 hours. 72 hours. I think that was really a terrible play on their end. He goes to the hood and there's a bunch of black guys kind of working out in an apartment, not doing anything with their lives. And I feel like when you're crafting a narrative about something like that, you have to be really careful. Um, A lot of my friends in college were from Compton. Their families worked hard. It was not like that. It was a a violent place, but it was a place where people regularly lived, worked, worked at the county office, you know, did all kinds of things. The idea that you would paint it in a in a way that it's this helpless thing where people are living in this area and there's mattresses and there are these homies just kind of hanging out. That was definitely exploitative. I agree with you. I think they were primarily taking advantage of how funny, I forget the guy's actual name, but Carlton Banks's performances are and how he's able to kind of flip on a dime. Mm-hmm. I think they're just exploiting that for the laughs and not really taking thought on the subject matter. The other episode that I took issue with was Mistaken Identity, and that was the one where they got arrested. What was your problem with that one? So it's 1991, um, and the, the Los Angeles police are a gang terrorizing black people in the 90s. And... That wasn't unknown to anyone at the time. Uh, there was whole songs about it. Fuck the police, right? Like, of course. So I think they made that situation seem to white people like it was okay. This is my thing. If you're gonna do it, do it right. Don't powder it up and just deal with it. And I think one of the things that we have the advantage of in 2021, and probably going back to The Sopranos is having television shows with an arc. Could that particular sitcom didn't have an arc, and most sitcoms don't have an arc, right? Like, there's no continuity or flow. Like, you don't see, you don't, they don't Not address it. Not as much. It. Yeah. yeah. They don't have, the, they don't address it on the next episode, but that's so heavy now, even more so, because we have cell phone cameras. But it, the fact that they kind of addressed it, and Carlton didn't really get it, and the dad was kind of like, oh, don't worry. I, it's an issue, but I got the sense of don't, don't worry about it. Didn't properly deal with the gravity of the situation as it was occurring in real time. Well, I hear what you're saying. To just highlight some moments I found still affecting alongside those criticisms was it ended on silence. Maybe like, I don't know. I didn't clock it exactly, but it felt like three seconds solid, mm-hmm. which for a sitcom is a choice. Very much so, where like there's a rhythm to most sitcoms and it's become such a science and was such a science at this point when the Fresh Prince, you know, became a thing where that I thought was a really good choice. It wasn't wrapped up as neatly as a lot of sitcoms are. So the thing is, you know, the road to hell, right? So, I, you know, I think like they shouldn't have dealt with it at all. If you weren't going to deal with it properly, 
So I'm curious, because I don't think that much would have had to have been tweaked. Let's say it was the same location, because these were like low, like these weren't like cops in a big city. These were cops that like, if, if it was in the area around whatever like resort area they were driving to, right? It's probably some like towny cop type. If you were writing this episode, what would you have changed? I think you have to let Will and Carlton go through the process your dad doesn't show up and you just get out of jail. That's not the way that it works. I guess let me be more specific with my question. What would you change about how Will and Carl and were handled by the police? I think that it would have looked more like a traffic stop of a black man who was accused of stealing a white man's Mercedes where there's been a lot of yelling, a lot of guns pulled. Like I think that Carlton would have felt the presence of... yeah of what was happening to him. And that would have been a life altering shift that didn't catch with Carlton. It seemed like he still had some questions. If that really happens to you, you don't have any questions. You understand very clearly what the fuck is going on. No, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah. I mean, clearly um, they chose to go more comedic. I don't know who was the person who chose that, but yeah, I, wa I wonder, I, it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall in that writing room during that episode. Yeah, I watched the pilot episode. I watched all these episodes with my oldest daughter, who's 14, who had never seen the show before. Oh, uh, how did she like it? Um, she loved it. And I think she really connected because she's in a, in, a, in a misfit kind of age. And she really connected with Will Smith's character. And fundamentally, it's a story about being a misfit and trying to figure out, feel your way out through this complex culture where you have to make adjustments in the way you do things is aren't fundamentally accepted. And I think a lot of teenagers can identify with that. Yeah. Um, and so I also think that there wasn't as much emphasis on hip hop culture as I thought. It was really Will Smith being Will Smith. Yeah, I think the hip-hop references came in pretty organically. And, yeah. like, as a fan of hip-hop would naturally kind of bring them up. It, that really wasn't too forced. No, it wasn't. And and his style ages pretty way better than I thought it was. Yes, it did. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I mean... <laughs> I love the flipped-out, inside-out school blazer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's solid cool. Move. I thought, because I'm in a fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma, and they had a fraternity that was kind of after mine i'm in a black fraternity called phi beta lambda right in the, oh so that was a, a an actual reference to yours i don't know but they use the colors of alpha phi alpha which is another fraternity so they use the golden black of alpha phi alpha and that's another black fraternity that's another black fraternity right. what i thought was powerful in that was watching this as an older person i didn't realize how important carlton's character was to black people that black people did not necessarily have to be pigeonholed into this very particular kind of style and idealism and masculinity where... And they, they played off so well with Will Smith. Like those two, uh, in like the latter seasons, I think like the latter half of the series, at the credits, there's always like the outtakes. Mm -hmm. And it's so endearing just watching them have a good time with like, uh, the, whole, like the whole ensemble, but particularly Carl and, and uh, Will's characters. Yep. It was the complexities. They deal really well, I thought, in most of the episodes with the complexities of being black. What does it mean to be a black man? 
Yeah, the 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 I think one of the most common themes addressed in the show is just is black identity. Absolutely. Outside of like the sitcom hijinks that are like the fuel of the show, you know, but thematic wise, yeah, black identity was all, you know, that was in the fraternity episode. It's in mistaken identity. I, I, there is like a couple jokes I caught for the first time upon rewatch because I didn't get him as a kid where like Carlton asks Will in mistaken identity. What do you say to an Oreo? I say, what's up, Carlton? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah, man, they really kid that. So there was like there definitely was some jokes, I think, meant for specifically black people. because I don't think most white people would have gotten that. No. I don't and know. um, I remember this joke, but always like remember not getting it. <laughs> Which is Hillary in the pilot coming out of the bathroom in her makeup uh, face covering, mm. and it's white, so she's in white face. <laughs> and Will just goes, "I knew it," and it like ends the show. Like it's a good tag. It was. It was. <laughs> look, there were so many really good moments in the show that I saw that I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I can't believe, and that I missed that. But I, at the time, as a teenager, like I wasn't getting a lot of those jokes either. You know what I mean? Like. The best episode to me, the episode that resonated the best for me was Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse. It's so good. It is. It um, is. That, the whole, like, scene where, where you know, at the very end, where Will Will's just, like, venting until he breaks down and, like, Will and Phil's there for him. It's perfect. It's such good acting. Like, Will's not that great of an actor yet, you know what I mean? But, I mean, granted, this is, what was that, season four? Mm-hmm. He he earned his chops a little more, but yeah, that was that was a that was a scene. And I thought it was some of the th- what he said. I wish I'd have written it down. He said like I'm gonna. He had he was charting out his life. Yeah, I'm gonna do this for myself. I'm gonna do that for myself. I'm gonna be a great father. And that's the I grew up without my dad. And that's the exact thing I thought. Yeah, like I'm gonna I'm gonna put all this together. So there's gonna be no question in my mind, in my children's mind about what kind of dad I'm going to be. Right, because like you don't want to put your kids through what you processed and gone through. Absolutely. So I that was, to me, one of the more... That and the fraternity episode... But that question. Let's stay on that episode for a minute. Like, that fucking question where he's just like, okay, so you have this really well-done monologue that he performs, like, for, for sitcom standards, like, fantastically. Mm-hmm. And you have one question... You know, there's a rhythm to that and there's a beat. You got to boil it down. Like, what is the most salient question right here? How come he doesn't want me is such a good question. You're right about that. But Will Smith was raised by actually two parents. His mom was a school board administrator and his dad was an Air Force veteran. So he came from a very upper middle class lifestyle. And that's when we had gone back to this. This is I don't want to go too deep into this. He grew up in West Philadelphia in the Winfield neighborhood, and that's when I go back to it. I say West Philly wasn't, nobody was shaking in their boots going through West Philadelphia for the most part. He went to a private Catholic school, and he, he was all right. Do you know what I mean? So he... Well, they even addressed kind of the bullshit you called out for West Philly not being that dangerous in the Philadelphia story. To a family living in Bel Air... They're going to accept whatever story is provided by mm-hmm. their source, mm-hmm. whether or not it's legit. So they actually, it's kind of cool that they eventually do address that. Yeah. To stay on, uh, probably has got a brand new excuse. That line of like, how come you don't want me? And like how he broke down during that was, it captured, I feel like the complexity of that. It was a great episode. So it says that 
Bill Balwear based this episode on his own life experience growing up with a single parent, noting he was always interested in shows about fathers due to his lack of growing up with one. Mm. So, yeah. So there you go. So, there, I mean, you, you have direct experience being written into this episode. So I have a question for you. What would you say the intended audience is for a sitcom? I would probably say the intended audience of a sitcom. That's hard because it's complicated because it but depends on the sitcom. But I think that's an sitcom. important question. It's a de- it depends on the sitcom. You're right. It does depend on the sitcom. So I'm going to say, though, let's, well, let's just say this for the Fresh Prince. So I would probably say the intended audience for Fresh Prince was probably black people 14 to 37. I'm going to say it is all races, 8 to 18. Because, like, I watched it now and I enjoyed it, right? But for me, I don't enjoy sitcoms anymore. They just, I mean, I'm the type of person, like, outside of something like maybe Seinfeld or... I don't know if you want to count like Arrested Development, but let's just say outside of Seinfeld and maybe like for nostalgic purposes. I mean, again, I I enjoyed watching Fresh Prince, but I tried to watch a few episodes outside of these 10. And I did. I watched like the Soul Train episode because Carlton's dance scene is like fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a good episode, but the joy of watching the show like fell off very quickly. It's just it's a stale, especially by the time of the 90s. It's like it was the last hurrah for sitcoms. And I just think that there's a lack of sophistication to them or there's, or maybe there's a lack of depth because honestly, like it is, it, there is a skill set in writing for these things. And it's it, like, so there's a couple of things. The reason that I think that it wasn't eight to 18 is because the Fresh Prince was at its time, a prime time show, right? So it came on, I think like six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but eight, eight year olds are up that late. Most kids are in, should be in bed at oh, seven thirty. Seven thirty? You crazy ass? Uh, that's says so says a man with no children. Well, no, um, I'll say this though: my parents put me to bed at like nine or ten. I put my fourteen year old to bed at eight thirty. So wow, um, whoa, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's a good argument against what I'm saying. Yeah. So it was a primetime show. It wasn't a show that was like for after school. True. A fellow a guest of the pod, Ralph, I was talking with him about it. And like Ralph was saying how, you know, Ralph is three years older than me. And so he feels like he was just too old for it. He thought it was all corny at that point by the time he got it, where he was saying like, I was like the perfect age for it. And maybe because I'm a Ralph's age. So yeah. maybe that makes sense. And I, I, that's why I'm saying like eight to 18, because it deals with issues you primarily learn in high school. I think the ideas on racism that are addressed in this show are high school level, basic stuff, 101 type knowledge. But to someone who doesn't have much experience with black people, and for me, I didn't, outside of the fact that my dad worked in the city and I would go there often, like since I was four. So I was accustomed to seeing black people, right? But in terms of like having friends, there was two black kids in my grade and I was friendly with both of them. We had a very small school. But uh, one of them was actually like a close friend, but it was like the token black guy. You know what I mean? So he was more like a part of like the white culture we all took part in. Uh, So anyways, all that is to say that it was very helpful for me. I actually think if you're over the age of 18 and actually learning something from a sitcom, you're basic. 
but I, I'll tell you that there are sitcoms that got more sophisticated and, and played an important part in pushing a narrative. Mod Family, Modern Family. Yeah, I've heard good things. I haven't seen it. Modern Family's excellent. I don't know if you consider To Curb Your Enthusiasm a sitcom. No. I mean, I guess. But I just think it's a deconstruction of a sitcom more than... A sitcom? Yeah. I, Seinfeld was a classic sitcom, but was already starting to deconstruct it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm... I mean, technically it is, but Curb has like a nihilistic tendency toward it in that there's no lesson here. It's purely the absurdity of these situations and how like uh, horrible or tragic or silly humans are. You know what I mean? I think that at this point, Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men are probably the, the two biggest sitcoms that have made a stamp in terms of that genre's legacy. Mm-hmm. There's like new ones now. I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't watch them. So it's like hard for me to assess. But those are the ones I remember hearing about before that was like Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. It was a big one. Blackish. Uh, that's that's still I love, out. Yeah, I love Blackish. I watch yeah. Blackish all the time. Um, I hate the Big Bang Three for the record, but Black I haven't seen Blackish. Blackish is good. It's a little, getting a little bit too woke for me. I think like uh, patronizing, patronizing. So the danger of doing this kind of stuff is. You mentioned Malcolm. They mentioned Brother Malcolm a lot. In the uh, show. In the in, show. In Fresh Prince. In the Fresh Prince. What would Brother Malcolm think about the Fresh Prince? He prob- he would be way harder than you are, of course. Absolutely. I don't think he... Would you th- but I don't think Malcolm X would call it cooning. He absolutely would. Yeah? He absolutely... Let astray, run amok. But, you know, Malcolm X also isn't a saint, right? The reason I became so strongly on the defensive against your of that claim you made is because you explained to me the definition of minstrelsy is lowering yourself to appease white people. With that said, I don't think any of these actors here lowered themselves. No. Now you have to say that after reviewing the show, I was like, no, they're not lowering themselves. Will Smith isn't really lowering himself. He is more or less just being himself and it's kind of just a funny show. It's a funny contrast about a misfit kind of out of place in a particular life. And you could have put Will Smith in and you could have left him in Philadelphia and it would have been funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. His timing is almost like he's a stand-up comedian. He's, he's pretty like, it was almost like he had stand-up in another life or something. Like he's really kind of. He has, he has got a charisma to him. He has a charisma to him. The reason that. I think Malcolm X would not have, and I'm speaking from Brother Malcolm and I probably shouldn't, but I think (laughs) the reason that Malcolm X would not have liked the show is because it didn't do enough to push the black agenda. It wasn't outraged. And this was definitely a time where we should have been outraged. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I, I think you're dead on with that assessment. To bring back Dr. Phillips' perspective, right? Where I see myself aligning with Dr. Phillips' perspective with this type of show, I don't think this show is minstrelsy. I think this show is authentically itself. I think that Will Smith is being actually who he is. But I think that one of the reasons this show is able to exist is because it fits a trope. And it's a trope that's garnered success that white people have benefited from. Explain the trope. A variation on the buffoon. 
But I think that's more indicative, again, to the nature of sitcoms. It kind of goes to, you know, why black people have been able to have as much success as they have in the entertainment industry, I guess in my entire lifetime. Because I was going to say, like, historically, I want to say the golden age of hip hop. But really, I realize I'm just aligning this experience with my lifetime. But in my lifetime, like black people have excelled in these domains. They've had to shake a lot of stuff off. But like we've talked about before, the 90s being this booming age for black content. And I don't think it's stopped. It's continued to gain momentum and challenge and shake off this long history of oppression. But it's one of the few areas more than any other where that progress is, is more visible. Would you agree with that? I think so. Like to say that black people haven't made progress in almost all areas of life in America would be disingenuous. I think the movies that black people are... I'm talking more in like, to clarify a little bit, in how it's accepted. And I think that's part of the sad reality of it. It's like playing... I think that's why you could look at the whole of black success and entertainment, right? Like as minstrelsy, it's like this really weird double-edged sword type of thing. Because it's one of the few areas again, that they've able to have found this success compared to other elements. I just feel that it's because, well, you're entertaining us. Meaning as from the white guy's perspective, right? It's like, well, at least you're entertaining us. Yeah, but there's a danger in that. Paul Mooney. RIP, man. Yeah, rest in peace. I went back and went down a YouTube rabbit hole of all his stuff. <laughs> so funny. He's funny and he's dark. Oh, Relentlessly dark, man. Um, and he was talking about Hattie McDaniels, the first black woman to win an Oscar for Gone with the Wind. Okay. And the white people wrote the speech that she said at the Oscars. And part of the speech that she wrote was like, I'm so glad and I hope I continue to be a credit to my race. And Paul Mooney was talking about this and they showed a clip, an overlay of, of Hattie McDaniels' speech. And he's like, white people wrote in the script that this woman should continue to be a credit to her race in her Oscar speech. And she was entertaining white people in a way that white people are comfortable seeing black people like the mammy, right? the joking person, the person who's not to be taken seriously. And that's the danger in, I guess, at least we're entertaining, I guess. No, but I'm not saying... The black person is saying at least they're entertaining. When I this said the that- The white person yeah. is saying that. And Jesse Jackson said this. Why do black people excel at sports? Because it's the only area in America where the playing fields are level. Because it's based on numbers and performance? Like you can't- Because if, I mean, art's subjective, right? Sports is, is objective. You can't rig it. Either I'm faster than you are, I'm not. There's no right. way to rig it. There's right. no way- Where you, art is literally developed from communities, right? So yeah. It's no, in, and, and, it's I mean, and I think that's like, that's being, that's a naive way of thinking about art. Like if art in its purest form is developed by communities, but the way that it's cultivated and manipulated is developed by large multi-conglomerate corporations. Well, of course, but I'm not being naive in saying that A, art is inherently subjective. Yes. And then the other thing is, is that art comes from, an individual or a group of, in, you know, a group of individuals who come from communities and they're relating their own experience in some manifestation. So you can't separate it where with sports, you can look at 
raw data and it, it is what it is no matter what community they come from. Yes. Art in of itself can be subjective, but we've put objective associations with it. The movie that makes the most money, the biggest box office person in Hollywood. What does it mean to have a black lead in a movie on a poster? That's all evidence that serves arguments and positions and criticism and review and analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Just to reify the sentiment you brought up from Jesse Jackson is that, yeah, that it's why sports more than art. Yeah, because you can't rig sports. Like you can rig art. You can market a certain amount of art from a certain particular community. And right. And yes. it becomes the dominant art, whatever Absolutely. that is. Well, no, I mean, it's one of the reasons having access to being a mover and a shaker in the fine art world, like that's, that's a high bar. Fucking Jesus. When I went to New Orleans, there's a whole bunch of art galleries in the French Quarter. It's, it's a lovely thing to do if anybody has a chance to go through the art in the French Quarter. It's absolutely amazing. When I asked one of the curators of one of the galleries, what makes art valuable? What makes a piece of art more expensive over another piece of art? And they said very simply, it's what museums and galleries your art is listed into, right? And, yeah. and so, or, or placed in. It's why a clothing brand like Supreme or off-white costs the amount of money they do. Yeah, but who has access to those galleries? If we all could just pull out our art and stand behind a blind curtain, you know? But that's the thing. Like, I'm not challenging what you're saying at all, but only to add that a meritocracy is not only an impossibility, but in the best, most utopian, ideal circumstances just could not exist because of how subjective that world is like charm and charisma like what we're attributing to will smith cannot fucking be quantified outside of like you know looking at how much money it made how many people watch him you know what i mean and, and its success and not notifying these patterns but to the extent of what and how much more than the other like who fucking knows do you know what i mean no i get what you're saying Chris Rock said, if I was as funny as Dana Carvey, nobody would know who I was because he's black. Right. Like there's no place for middling. No, I get it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. so. It goes to the um, black excellence type of thing, right? Like you have to work that, that twice much harder. Twice as hard right. for, yeah. That's why I think if we're going to have a utopia, it's going to be something like Greenland. Like if you're funny in Greenland, or whatever you are in Greenland, it's just because you're the funniest person. Or maybe you had something else going on. It wasn't because there was this anybody trying to keep you out of a system. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think. Yeah, well, right. But I mean, in terms of, but then the weird thing that despite all of its horrors, America's melting pot ideal that it either falsely or with the best of intentions, sometimes both, like, you know. Uh, superimposes um, ideologically on our country, it has produced some incredible stuff. And I think there's more value in it. Like learning, I mean, it's why this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Learning these experiences and having that openness and, and creating that space for both of us to share our own experiences and learn from each other. I mean, it's the best. It's, it's It produces the best work. It's one of the reasons I love Flying Lotus and Adult Swim and stuff like that as much as I do. Yeah, so I think there's something interesting about that 
perception because of it's been a tragic, but it's also produced great art kind of right. Thing. Bill Burr makes that joke in Paper Tiger. And Paul Mooney makes it. He said, I like to thank white people for making black people so strong. He was making a reference to how That's crazy white joke. people were going after 9-11, right? And he, they, the white people are terrorists, terrorists, terrorists. He said black people aren't afraid of terrorists because white people have been terrorizing black people for years. Such a great joke. You know, so yeah, out of that, I wish it didn't have to happen that way. But it, it goes to the human experience in general. It speaks to the sentiment. All black people's problems really are everyone's problems at their worst in a weird way, right? And and that goes to the fact that everything has a cost. There's a line, uh, we were just talking about it off mic, in Mayor of Easttown. This doesn't give anything away, so no spoilers. In Mayor of Easttown, there's a moment where Kate Winslet plays Mayor, and she's a detective, and her fellow detective just reveals a big fuck-up, right? And at, right after Mayor shared one of her fuck-ups, right? And Mayor's response to this guy being vulnerable to her was... Doing something great is overrated. Mm. There's a cost, man. Absolutely. Every artist that does something great, there is some imbalance that they're making up for, some lack that they're trying to compensate for. It's not all art. It's not the only way, but it is definitely one way that is proven effective. It's what's discussed in Teddy Perkins. Mm -hmm. You know, Dave Chappelle going to South Africa. My favorite... Miles Davis record is Get Up With It, which came out in, I think, 1972 or 74. Mm -hmm. He recorded that entire record in like a cocaine coma, dude. Like, you're lucky that record was even made. Um, it's just, it's a dark reality, but it's just the way things are. Yeah, it is. It is. Going back to the Fresh Prince, I think it was clever. I think it dealt with really complex issues. The complex issues about what does it mean to be black. Carlton was as black as Will Smith was. Your blackness is allowed to manifest itself in any way that you feel comfortable. And in that way, you could still be a credit to your race or you don't have to necessarily be a sellout. When the second most powerful episode to me was the one about the fraternity, and I think it's like blood is thicker than mud, how dare that fraternity brother call Carlton out for being a sellout when you would want a brother like Carlton going up the chain of command in corporate America and having influence in recognizing his blackness in a very unique way that is going to allow him to maneuver in spaces that ordinary black people couldn't particularly maneuver. So, Well, in an interesting way, although I'm, I'm, I see and agree with your criticisms on 72 Hours, they kind of played on that in a different way, the sentiment you're speaking to, which is like, although Carlton was speaking like, quote, hood, right? Mm -hmm. He was telling them how to do their taxes and how to sell like fake Gucci bags properly, mm -hmm. you know, in McLaren Park. So they were trying to work with that type of, they knew their character. Yes. And... And I'm not, we'll say in closing, I'm not passing judgment on Carlton, but there's an in-between. And, and what Carlton didn't do that they don't really address in the, the episodes that I saw was code switching. Yeah. You know, Carlton didn't know how to do that. And most successful black people know how to code switch so that you have to be able to go home to your own people and, and, be, and be, take your shoes off and feel completely comfortable. But Carlton's a person, though to push back a little is uh 
he never had to code switch. Yes. Right? You're saying that from a person, you yourself grew up in like a hood-like area and you, you did because you knew both scenarios. Carl was born with mm-hmm. a silver spoon in his mouth. Yes, and that silver spoon put a lot of distance between him and the ordinary black person or the ordinary white person, for that matter. Because not because I, yeah. I, I looked it up, the house that they stayed in would have been worth about six point five million dollars at the time. At the time, it wasn't in Bel Air; it was in Brentwood. And the estimated salary of Uncle Phil was between three and five million dollars a year. Huh. So they were really rich. So it's quite conceivable that Carlton would have had no association right. with that. Right. Um, but it's interesting that they just never they never went there on code switching. One oh. thing I wanted to say was I didn't realize, and I noticed this so much more upon rewatch. I didn't know about this at the time until I watched the reunion special that was on HBO Max. But the first Vivian is so much better. Way better. Oh, my God. Way better. I mean, no no offense to like, you know, the new actress, like she was thrown in halfway through. The writers changed a little bit. I actually enjoyed a lo- the first three seasons way better than the last three, though. I don't have enough context, I guess, because I don't remember yeah. it enough. Yeah. But it's clear that the first Vivian was almost as captivating as Will Smith. Yeah, that whole like where she the taking off the earrings bit, yeah. like she's she when she came in up. as a teacher to teach them. It was great. It was a great episode. How she showed herself being sad. There's a lot of good acting in There's that show. There's a lot show. of good acting. And that's because she's a Juilliard trained actress. Right. And Will Smith, as everybody knows probably by now, kind of ruined her career. Yeah. I mean, he fessed up to it on that special. I mean, obviously it was in front of a camera, which is like always a little weird, but it was also nice to see as a fan of the show. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of people wouldn't have done what he did in, in terms of owning up to that. Yeah. So that's something to say that's true. And I mean, look, I know Aunt Viv, the original Aunt Viv, was upset that she didn't get additional roles after that and her life yeah. was really difficult. Yeah. But nobody really did. Nobody's career really took off after that except Will Smith's. I think That's Carlton. Ashley, Ashley did that, had an album, I remember. Album, and she, was, she played on it pretty well. She ended up going to Harvard. Tatiana Ali. But Carlton is now making a resurgence almost 20 years later. Now he's in State Farm commercials and doing other things, but all of them kind of disappeared off the map. James Avery, who played Uncle Phil, never did anything after the show, really. I think he had like maybe a few like lifetime quality movies and he did some voice work. His acting was on par with some of the best sitcom performances yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. Like it would have been it'd have been interesting to see. Well, the Listen, sitcoms typecast people. Yes. And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to get out of that. Like, that's what was so huge when Breaking Bad happened, dude. It was, the, everyone was like, it's the fucking dude from Malcolm in the Middle, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, Walter and, White. And it's just like, that type of pivot normally wasn't done. Like, we talked about this way back in text. Like, Matthew McConaughey had to go through a lot of specific, purposeful, he had to make a lot of moves to get to where he eventually is now. Where, I mean, Dallas Buyers Club. I Dallas, mean, it was Dallas Buyers Club and then True Detective, I think. Yep. Because before that, he was doing like bullshit Rom-com. romantic comedies. Yep. And he hated him. He he wasn't hate him, hate him, but you know, he he like speaks on that like ugh, you know. I can't he was sick I used of it. To do that. Yeah. yeah. It's like looking at your photo album twenty five years later. Yeah. So um, no, yeah, uh, sitcoms definitely have typecast people. I think we did it. 
Again, you can drop us a line at bostonnj at racetraderpodcast.com. Check the spelling in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, folks. Smell you later. Stay curious. Love you, Tayo. Really?